Welcome, mon ami, to today's episode of the A Home of Healing podcast with my guest, Diana Lugoli. I brought Diana on because she's an expert in Stockholm, Sweden, who has been through what we all go through, the process of finding food in a new country with a new culture. Her story is unique and extraordinary, as all our stories are. But the structure of all expat stories resemble each other. There's excitement, hope, expectations, disappointment. There's maybe even moral devastation. There's a rock-bottom moment, and then there's a turning point. And if you are an expat currently in a low part of your story, stay and listen, and take comfort in knowing that what you are experiencing is part of a development, and there is hope. So let me quickly sum up before I bring her on. Diana grew up in Slovenia, but is a child of immigrants who fled the war in Bosnia. She has a diploma and a master's degree in business and went as a young mother with her two children for an Erasmus exchange to Stockholm. And when she went back for the summer holidays to Slovenia, it was instantly clear to her that this was not the place she wanted to live. Sweden was where she and her family were meant to be. So after graduation, they moved back. And this is where we start our conversation today. Enjoy. Welcome to the Home of Having podcast, my friend. This is the place to learn how to create a home away from home. I am Nick. I am an interior designer, but also a CRL expat. And this season, I'm on the quest to find out what belonging means. Why? Well, because psychologists claim belonging is what defines the value of our life. And it helps us cope with life when life gets rough. And you don't need to be an expat to know life doesn't get any rougher than when we feel lonely. So I'm inviting you to hear and learn from inspiring people as they share their story and their knowledge on belonging. And then you can make a decision on what a home worth having really means to you. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome, Diana. It's so nice to have you. Thank you so much. It's my honor and pleasure to be here with you and share a little bit about, I don't know if, it's, if I'm an extraordinary human being, but I'm an expat and I know how we feel and that we are a little bit different than the rest of population. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> we, expats make quite a small number of people because most people just remain in their home countries Or they just go for a really short time, like an Erasmus year, and then you're just an exchange student. And the exchange student experience is different than actually moving and living with family and building a life abroad. But then again, amongst the expats, there's elements that we all went through that we all know. And when we will talk about it, I think a lot of expats will be just nodding their head and think something like, I know that. I've been there. I've done that. So where I will start now, my questioning is, you have been to Sweden, you went back home and you realized this is not the place you want to be. So your home country, Slovenia, is not where you see your future. You wanted to start over with your family in Sweden. So let me just ask you, how did you do that? How did you start this new life in Sweden? I bet you were feeling excited and you had big plans. But what was the situation like? Did you already have mm-hmm. a flat? Did you have a job lined up? Or did your husband have a job lined up? Hmm. I always been an international maven. So you mentioned that my parents are from Bosnia and I was born and raised in Slovenia. So it kind of gave me that advantage. On the top of all, My husband is from Kosovo. He's Albanian. So we always knew that the multicultural center, which is Stockholm, is really something that fits us and our way of living. So it wasn't like it will be hard for us to adapt. We fully enjoyed our three, four months um, in Stockholm when I was still studying because we just felt that we are at home. And when we went back to Slovenia for summer break, the feeling, you know, when you have this gut instinct, oh my God. No, <laughs> this is not our home anymore. I felt when I was talking with people and they asked me, are you afraid to move? Are you afraid to leave everything behind? At that time, I was still on maternity leave. I was working at Ljubljana University as a human resource specialist. And I had a very good job, like it was really, really brilliant job. And something told me that even if I 
leave the job and I don't have the job still in, in Sweden, that's still less of a fear than what if this life in Sweden will make big dreams happen, right? Does that make sense? Yes, right? I had this fear, okay, I'm going to leave this job, this good job and the life. Most of the people had said to me, you have such a brilliant life here in Slovenia. Why are you leaving everything behind? That's just nuts. And I said, I just feel it. And that was the first time when I said, I need to go with my gut instinct. Mm-hmm. I'm a very left-brainer. I studied business and I'm a logical thinker. I'm an analyst. So for me, tuning into that gut instinct and the second baby, she was just like one month old at when we moved the first time to Sweden. So I was still under like hormonal transformation and everyone was saying, you know, you, you, you are just like you having these hormones and adrenaline. Just wait. No. I didn't hesitate for a moment. My husband got a job because the only people who we knew at that time here in Stockholm was was his family, his brother. So his brother offered him a job. So that was kind of secure. We had a rent apartment. We knew that finding a job is easier than finding an apartment. (laughs) So so we had an apartment. We had like really great tenants. So it, it was good. We were positive. And yeah, leaving Slovenia and coming here at that time felt like, yes, yes, yes. Heck yes. (laughs) Okay. So obviously something happened the first time you've been in Sweden and you had this, this spark, this moment of growth, and you saw the potential for yourself that you didn't see for yourself in Slovenia. And yes, for people who don't know about the situation, it is really, really hard to find a rental flat in the Stockholm area. Just in general, people don't rent as much in Sweden as they do in other places. Mm -hmm. So I can see how knowing all that, things felt like they fell into place for you because you had family, your husband had a job and you had a flat. So that is, wow. (laughs) Everybody who wants to move to Sweden has all this when they make the decision. So the decision came really easy to you. Yeah, 100%. And I was still on maternity leave. I was still getting a paycheck, right, for next four months from Mm -hmm. university, right, because I was on maternity leave. So it was a no-brainer. Yeah, ideal circumstances, one would say. But at some point, maternity leave ended for you, and it was time for you to go back to a job because you left your great job back Mm -hmm. at home and you had to find something new. So how did that go? finding a job in Sweden. You're a highly educated person. You had two degrees. I know that you speak several languages. So how was the job finding process as easy as the rest of the move? Right. So I said that it's easier to find a job than to find a flat. (laughs) But here the, the reality kicks in. Mm-hmm. It's December and January 2013, we don't have any income. Okay. My husband, during the, the Christmas, found out that his brother can't keep him at his job. Okay. <laughs> so not only I lose the maternity, right? He loses his job. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, like here in Sweden, you have the right to stay at home for 18 months to maternity leave so he could stay another six months with her, right? right. Because he was not qualified. He doesn't speak English. So for him, finding a job was harder than me finding a job, right? Mm -hmm. Because I speak English and so on. And we said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to look for a job. You stay six months and we're going to get that parental leave for you, right? So that, that was okay. Great. Sweden is an amazing country. They give you all this great stuff. I sent... 2,800 applications for job. Wow. And mind the fact that I worked in human resources. I know Mm -hmm. how the interview process, how you need to nail your CV. I know all of this. Mm -hmm. I work with foreign visiting professors. Like I had so much great connections. I got five answers saying to me, no, you're not qualified because you don't speak Swedish. The rest never heard back from them. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, I don't speak Swedish. I can learn, right? There's no biggie. I'm going to do the job. I'm going to learn. But at that point, I also felt I need to provide for my family. 
So I said, what is the easiest for me to actually do with my English? And I'm going to study and I'm going to work and all will be great. Still in that positive attitude. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to like different shops, the markets, and they said, we need people who speak Swedish. There was no way for me to actually work with customers or even working, despite the fact that 90% Swedes speak English. Yeah. That's the like, wow. <laughs> and we were like two weeks in and my husband said, you know what? My brother has this neighbor who runs a cleaning company. Would you go on an interview and ask them if they would take you? And I said, yes, sure. Like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Okay, wait. Okay, I wait, wait, wait. I, 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 wait. I, I have to interrupt. So you have two degrees. You speak several languages, but not the local language. You wrote 2,800 applications. And I mean, that sounds impressive. And that sounds super admirable right now. But in the moment, I bet you felt everything but oh, I'm impressive, or I'm so admirable. So how, how the heck did you keep morale up sending 2,800? Because the normal logic process is you apply for the jobs that you want. Then you apply to secondary jobs, maybe then mm-hmm. to third degree. And then in the end, I mean, 2,800, you must have sent job applications to whatever job was out there in the end. Yeah, but you need to keep in mind that, you know, I knew for a fact that I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to Slovenia Yeah. because at that point of time, we also experienced that the lifestyle that we want to live to give to our kids a solid foundation that I didn't have as an immigrant daughter, mm-hmm. I felt that. I can't give up for them. So I knew my why. My why was like, it was so solid. So I said, I'm going to put my ego into the bag and I'm going to go. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to go to this cleaning company and have an interview. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I'm highly qualified. I'm going to provide for my family. And I know that this is just temporary. Okay, but let me just quickly go back. He said you wanted to provide to your kids something that you didn't have. Could you elaborate a bit on that? What is so great about Sweden that kept you there? Yeah, so I think that when I was a kid growing up in Slovenia, one of the vivid moments that I always remember was I wanted to play football. So when I was growing up, I couldn't play football. That was not a girl thing, Yeah, you know? Girls need to be polite. They need to be kind. They don't wrestle. They don't fight. They don't argue. They are quiet and they are nice. Mm -hmm. Especially me being like from that part of parents. My parents told me, you you just don't stand out. And I felt that still my daughter being like in her class at that time, she was one of two people who weren't sweet. Mm-hmm. But she still felt so much joy. She didn't speak Swedish, but she felt like, you know, I'm the same. I belong here. And her joy and her excitement and her, I can do whatever I want. And she uh, then afterwards, also in first class, she wanted to play football. And that was like, yes, yes, I want her to play football. I never could that. And that was the first part. And the second part, I'm not sure if this is something that we're supposed to talk about, but I'm going to say it. Like for me, having that freedom of choice, if I were going to vaccinate my kids or not, that was for me a huge moment of decision. Like, yes, this country gives me a freedom to decide what is best for my kids. And in Slovenia, you need to, it's obligatory. You choose by your own common sense, by you doing the research and you take responsibility for your kid. And also I felt the respect to humans, respect to other nations here is on such a high level. Here you're not black, white, red, yellow. Here you're a human being. So I always felt welcome by Swedes, by everyone. So I said, you know, I never had that. Mm-hmm. I was always the other one. I never wanted my kids to feel they're the other one. Okay. Does that make sense? You no, know, no, I totally understand because I have lived, so I'm living now in my sixth country in total, <laughs> and I'm learning my sixth language, which is Swedish, 
So I, I personally am highly intrigued to the entire thinking and the entire culture of Sweden. I've met a lot of Swedish people during my travels. I love to go to Sweden. And so I started studying the language because I wanted to understand why things run so differently in Sweden than they run in other places. And I always find the best traces, the best investigation I can do is through the language because that is what we use every day and how the language is structured and what you learn, what is being transmitted through kids' stories is highly impactful on how you think and how you grow up. And I will not go into that, but I totally get where you come from. So let me now ask you, your parents back at home, being from a different culture and a bit more conservative, traditional background, what did they think about your situation? So being highly qualified and risking it all and then settling for a cleaner's job, were they supporting and encouraging you? Were they being helpful? Or did they come up with their old beliefs that were a burden? I told you so. I told you so. You left a high-pay job to set up for this. All I could hear, it, it was, I told you so. And it was like, again, that, that feeling I knew that I need to weigh. Is that like my ego? And people who will tell me, that's where the kind of... I embarked into this personal development, education, and also yeah. growth. So will I allow other people to steer my life like they did before? Because at one point, I also realized I needed to escape from my family mm -hmm. and from the old beliefs to transform my life, to become that butterfly that I'm meant to be, right? Mm -hmm. I, know, I, I knew that. I felt that. I needed to let go of certain relationships and not, I don't want to speak with my parents, but there was, there was too much, too much yes. of everything, like interfering in our lifestyle, how we live and all this stuff, you know, I wanted that freedom. And when they told me, we told you so, I always said, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it felt like, you know, I always got this box in a, in a stomach. I told you so, but every time I felt that, I felt defeated every time more and more. And that was on the top of what was going on in that job. Because I took the job and I was super excited for the first time because I met amazing Swedish people, high society people. And they were amazing how they treated you as a human being. Like it was just like I experienced the real Swedish culture. That was so, so positive for me to actually see how they think, how they live. That was an advantage for me. If I'm going to do and build my life here, I want to know how they live. And I had most amazing experience with the customers. But my employers, on the other hand, they saw me as a threat. I had these exams in Swedish and I would say, this is important for me. I need to take a day off to actually go and take an exam. And, and at that time, she said, you know, why are you studying so hard? You're just a cleaner. I couldn't know. No, I'm not available for that. Because, you know, I come from the human resources. That's sacred to me. Humans are not replaceable. You can't just say and put me in the box and say, you're a cleaner. I have much more than that. And when she said that to me, I was like, wow. Quickly interrupt, can I, because I think we all have that experience as expats. No matter if you wanted to go and were super excited or if you were a trailing spouse and you were a bit anxious, at some point you will come across those people that are just the worst of people, right? Those people that just have to be nasty. Yeah, but the funny part was that she was also an expat. <laughs> ah, okay, okay, okay. Let me quickly go back. When we were talking about your parents, I had another question and I thought, this is going too far. But now I want to ask it anyways, because I am a child of immigrants as well. And even though my parents freely decided to leave their country, it was still the decision that they had to because under communism, they couldn't live the kind of life they wanted. Well, it was their decision, but in order to live the life they wanted, they had to leave their country. And my parents, every time I move country, they're super on the fence. Do you want to do this again? Why do you want to start over? One sentence my parents kept telling me, and that was super formative for me, 
was if people hear your accent, they will think you think with an accent. So you think less educated. You think mm. we're not a local. You don't know how things run here. So my parents, especially my father, he made always very clear to sound very, very German and not show that he's from another country. And I, as a child, went even further because I was over-adapting. Every time we moved, even inside of Germany, I would pick up the local accent. So people would not even know that I'm from a different part of Germany because I was born and raised in Germany as well. So I have perfect, clear German. But even if we moved to the South, I made sure I would as quickly as possible pick up the Southern accent so nobody mm. would know. And I find that very often, especially in the generation of my parents, so your parents as well, that after a while, I mean, they chose this life, but I don't know how to call it, almost self-resentment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. And then my parents had friends over. I remember those friends coming over and at some point they would all talk about the point when they will retire and go back to their home country. And it was almost like they looked at the clock. Oh, it's uh, seven years, three months and two days. And then I'm finally retired. And then I can finally go back. But when we were going back and visiting the family in their country, they were never happy neither. They would say, oh, the people here are so this, they're so that. Wherever they were, they weren't happy. And I decided I will not be that. I will not be that kind of grumpy axe. So my parents were forced to move because it was war in Bosnia. And after the war, they went, um, we have an expression, go with belly after food. <laughs> that's the stupid yeah. translation, but that's how we say. So it wasn't their choice, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it was different. I choose that. I know yeah. I'm taking responsibility. But what you mentioned, you know, like picking up the accent, I think it's also important to know that we polyglots, especially polyglots, we who speak uh, several languages, we have that tendency to transmute languages and accents and adapt. My parents were always, always afraid of judgment that they can speak Slovene. Always. Mm -hmm. That's also a reflection back. When I go with my kids to their preschool, to school, I speak my mother language because I'm proud. Mm -hmm. I remember my mom. She spoke with me in Slovene instead of her own mother language, despite she couldn't speak because she was so proud. And, and that's what I don't get it because, you know, language, as you said, that's like, that's the power. And she was afraid and she was ashamed that she doesn't speak the language. But she would speak a broken language to not feel like I'm an outliner, right? Which is crazy. Yeah, no, I, I heard this expression about the body positive movement that there is something like a good fat person and a bad fat person. The good <laughs> fat person is at least trying to do something is at least trying to do sport and then there's the bad fat person who does get rejected for their body positive movement because they say i'm fine the way i am so they don't feel this shame around the way they look which i don't think they should but there's a lot of overweight people that are just dieting or just doing sport because they want to be perceived yeah, I'm big, but at least I'm trying. On the inside, I'm a good person. As if your decision of what you do with your body reflects something about your character. So I, I think that's the, same, that's the same argument. It's this shame of, okay, I'm not from here. I don't speak the language, but at least I'm trying. Well, for me, yes, I speak fluently Swedish now. I use it when I need to use it. I refuse to speak with my daughter's Swedish. I'm proud of my identity, of my mm -hmm. ethnicity. I'm so proud of that. And I'm proud that I can reflect back and see where I didn't feel comfortable with my parents and to yeah. take that to my parenting. Because I do believe that kids need to experience. We, like, we're, in our family, we speak four languages daily. I think that that's the best asset that we as parents, multicultural parents, we can give our kids. It comes with the life. And uh, my kids can choose which language to speak. And that makes them stand out mm -hmm. because my parents wanted to fit in always. I'm going to speak this language because I need to fit in. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of resent them for that because they didn't stand in for, for their identity, but they didn't knew better, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that they did it for a reason. They thought that for us, for kids, it will be the best way. Now, when I look back, I'm so grateful for that experience because I'm not saying that this is right what I'm doing, but it feels right. But at the same time, I have to point out, you chose a place where being different is easy because you yeah. said the Swedish are very accommodating. You can go to other countries and that will not happen. It might be really hard to be accepted as who you are. I did the same thing. We lived for a few years in France and as much as I love France and French culture, I was not happy because I always felt looked down upon because I will always have an accent. And French mm-hmm. are very unforgiving for having an accent. And I felt very rejected. And then we had the opportunity to move to Switzerland and it felt so ideal because Switzerland is this neutral country. They speak German, mm-hmm. they speak my language, they speak his language. And that was the first thing I noticed when we moved here. We live in a French part, but when I speak French with my German accent, people are so polite with me. People don't put me in a category. They don't stigmatize me because they don't know I might be Swiss German. It was a huge relief after four years in France where everybody would roll their eyes at me. It was such a relief to move to Switzerland because people still hear my accent, but they don't know. So I think it's easy to be proud of who you are when the people make it easy. And I guess that's why we then are so grateful for those countries. Yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gender equality was huge, was really, really huge. You can be who you are and no one will judge you for that, you know. And I felt that like just seeing these kids, boys can have polished nails. That's okay. In my country, in Slovenia, oh my God, or in Bosnia. I won't even go to that. I think also like our teenager now accepting and growing this society where where gay is okay and she's very proud and like very stoic. She is so proud and she says, you know, I'm so grateful that we can discuss openly about Mm -hmm. our sex. And this makes me like, yes, we made a right decision. She is becoming, she's becoming this beautiful human being where she doesn't judge you know, mm-hmm. other people's. Yeah. So I feel, I feel that that's the value that really is something that I'm proud of. Okay. All right. No, it's good to hear. It's good to hear. It makes me sad because we wanted to come back to Sweden this summer, but with the Corona situation, our travel <laughs> plans got, got canceled. So we might postpone that, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fin- fan of Sweden as well. All right. I'm going to break here again and go back to your story because we were at the point where you took on a job that was way below the expectations that you had for yourself. It was a means to an end and you met a horrible person. How did you step out of that situation? How did you turn the situation around to make it a better one for you? Mm. So here's the thing that I think it's important to mention. I, I don't want to say that I'm a superwoman. I don't believe in that, but I went through some adversities in my life that I kept on moving, even if everyone was telling me, you can't do this. And I believed, you know what, I'm going to show you that I can't do this. I was always a little rebel and I'm resilient. I'm building that resilience. Mm -hmm. However, this job became, it wasn't the physical thing. I was tired. I go to sleep. It's It's a physical work, you know? Yeah. But the mental exhaustion that was like something that I couldn't deal with mm-hmm. the pressure controlling me and my little one she got sick and there was like at one point my boss she said you know you need to bring your sick kid and leave the keys at the office so other person can go and do your work and I was like what <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are we like in same country? Do we even like live in the same space in 21st century? Mm-hmm. You're asking me to take my sick kid to bus to leave a keys to you so you can like, what? Mm-hmm. What, what? What's going on? You know, everything what I believed and perceived about Sweden, that just doesn't like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and at one point I didn't know should I go against it? Is this like even should I explore the, the 
should I actually go with legislation and, and what's happening to me or should I have an open conversation? I didn't know I was trapped in a situation where, what do I do now? I have this vision, I have plans, I know that everything happens for a reason. But at this point, I didn't see what's, what, what's all this. So it kept on like stacking and the pressure was like more and more and more. Till one day, I would wake up at 4 a.m. Sometimes I would travel three hours to clean four hours and then to travel back three hours. Yeah. I don't know. What, what was it? Like $30? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I came home and that was, it was 5.30 in the evening. Um, and my daughter sat and she said, you know, I have this homework in Swedish that I need to do. And that day, everything was too much. Mm-hmm. I looked her in the eyes and I said, I can't. I effing can do this now. I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And she was so sad. That was the first time that I said that I can do something for my kids. When I woke up next morning, Emma, is this a nightmare? I couldn't be there for my kid. When all you did is move to this country for your kids. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not like me being like 100% in service, but when they need me, it's not like I'm spoiling my kids. Not, not, not at all. Yeah. But she needed me and I failed. And in the tone I said, it wasn't just like, I just said, I can't, leave me alone. It was like, you can't count on me. When I woke up next morning, I said, no, no. I felt the deepest pain. Not when someone tells me, you you know, you're just a cleaner. You're not worthy. You know, I know I'm meant for more. That doesn't hurt me. But that, how I treated my kid, that felt so wrong. That I felt deepest pain. I called my friend at that time and I said, before that, my my boss called me, I was at the job and she called me and something, I don't know what, something went wrong. She was interrogating me and, you know, Murphy's doing their thing, you know, everything is just like, you're attracting more and more shit. (laughs) And she calls me and she's interrogating me and I'm like just breathing and taking like, I was on a verge to say to her, like, screw you. Mm-hmm. And I call my friend and I say, you know, Anna, I'm going to kill my boss. Yeah. And she said, you know what? You're the sweetest person ever. Let me tell you, just paint a picture. I was in a zombie land. Yeah. I didn't like fix my eyebrows. I, wouldn't, I wasn't attractive. I didn't dress well. I didn't like, I look like crap. If you would see me on the street, you would say she's a bump, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What Anna sees, sees in me at that point, my soul. And she says, you're the most nice person I ever met. She starts to laugh. And in that, I start to cry. And I say, I need help. I can't do this. And she says to me, you know what? We have this evening. There's a business presentation going on. Let's have a girlish evening. And I say to her, you don't listen to me. I don't have time to fix my eyebrows. Why do you think that I have energy to, to go to a girly evening and listen to business presentation? No, I don't have time for my kids' homework. And she said, just come. Come, you won't regret. You're, you're going to have fun. Boy, I needed fun. That was for sure, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I said to my husband, and he was like totally supportive. That was like one year. So we are talking now one year in this job, right? Yes. And he was told like for the last three months, he was telling me, you know, quit the job. We are going to make it. You know, we are tough ones. We, we, you know, we'll find something. I was like, no, we, we have a here rent, you know. And I went to that and I called him and I said, you know what? I want to go out with Anna. And he said, yes, go, right. You need that. Um, I went that evening to a business presentation for a network marketing company. Mm-hmm. And there was this Swedish guy from Skåne. That's like Malmö. <laughs> he speaks a little bit Danish. <laughs> yeah. I understood Swedish, but his Swedish 
was no, not even close to it. It was like it's broken and everything. I sat there for an hour, so pissed off. I'm listening to this guy. What, what is he saying? Everyone is clapping. Like, what's happening right now? People are so inspired. And at the end, he said, one year from now, you'll wish you did it today. That was he an English in quote. English. Yeah. Yes. And I said, yes, yes, yes. One year from now, you would wish you did it today. And then I said, let's go and, and do some like snacks and all this. And I'm going to walk you through. And she told me, okay, so now you get to experience something that you studied. I was an entrepreneur back in Slovenia for 10 years. So this was something that entrepreneurial life was something that was in my identity. So having that first experience, okay, you can actually build a business from something that you love. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I went, so this was Thursday. On Friday, I went to the office. I was so inspired. I went there and said, I quit. (laughs) I was like, the first time I felt that, you know, fearlessness. Now it's like, yeah, I'm afraid. I don't know what future holds for me, but I'm ready. I don't want ever to feel like that. Like I felt this last morning where I can't support my kids, where I just need to put up, where I need to actually obey someone who doesn't even, yeah, I'm not going to say (laughs) But the person who you want to be surrounded and who wants to give you an advice is someone who is better than you, not someone who is worse than you, you know? And at that point, I felt inspired. And two weeks after that, I started to manifest some amazing stuff. I got a job in here in our community as a language teacher. I had this business. In three months, I got pregnant with the third kid. And what can I say? The rest is history. Yeah. So it's obviously your voice changed. So you are now in a completely different place. You could say that your real Swedish experience started after that that bad one. Yeah. And I believe that if I would go back in time, I would do it again. Okay. 100%. So tell me, now that that is behind you, who belongs to you? What are you doing? You have a third child and you started to build your own business. What is it you do? So now three years in and with these uncertain times, I'm so lucky that I have my own business where I have a coaching business, business coaching. I basically teach entrepreneurs how to launch and scale their online business and work with primarily with digital strategies. I'm also a goal mapping practitioner. I implement a lot of law of attraction and woo-woo, which we discussed. And also I'm NLP practitioner. So basically a little mix of uh, left and right brain. Um, And I mix both business strategy and mindset mastery. And I've been now privileged to work with people from 22 countries. And sometimes I just feel... Wow, I need to pinch myself, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> Are you proud of yourself? 100%. I wouldn't change anything, anything. How do you show it to yourself? So for me, the most, like, the, the brave and most proud act for myself is that I always remind myself that I'm worthy, that whatever I choose for myself is the right thing that I'm an independent and very strong woman. I choose because I believe it's right and I don't need to say to no one, I did it because of that. You mentioned how your parents feel. Now my parents are totally supportive. But does that make me a happier person? No, I didn't need to prove them. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that I needed to prove them. I needed to prove myself that I can do this. (laughs) And I'm so proud that I did because at the end, you know, If I believe in you, that doesn't help you. You need to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. And that, I'm proud that I I kept believing in myself through hardships, through adversities. I never stopped believing in myself. How do you do that? Because now, now when you're in a good place, it's, it's just a phrase we say. And when we are in the situation, we overthink and we overfeel Mm -hmm. and we don't do enough. We overthink and we overfeel, but we don't do enough. So now I feel uncertain. And when things 
become hard or when you see somebody struggle, what advice would you give? So that's a very good question. I believe that my, not the, the degree, the like resilience, not, not these things are, yes, it's a, it's a strength, but I believe that my biggest strength is see, I'm a visionary to see in people what they can see. And it makes me sad that even when I talk with people, with my clients, they say, you know, I can't do this. Catch yourself. It's you can't or you won't. Because if you say to me, I can do it, I can prove you that you can. I make impossible things possible by taking you through the journey and your beliefs. Like if you are not using your full potential and you say, I can't, I want to guide you and I want to support you to use that full potential. And that's how you actually build these new beliefs, these new results, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing is certain, I know for a fact from my experiences, that when people say, I can't and I can't do this, just try. What is the worst thing that can happen? And this is always what I remind my clients. And I'm totally borrowing this from James Wedmore. Mm -hmm. You will either get results or you will get lessons. Mm -hmm. You will get results that you want or lessons you need. Mm -hmm. In my book, this is a win-win situation. I don't believe in failures. It's all embracing that process of growth. I wouldn't be here for a fact if I wouldn't go through that process of growing. Diana, who will you be in 10 years? Oh, that's a great question. My big vision is to actually, <laughs> and this is something that I, this is my mission and my legacy. I want to create a success hub for young girls in tech here in Stockholm so I can found them. And this sounds a little bit... Yeah, but I strongly believe in self-education and people who are promoting self-education. I don't force my kids to go to school, go to high school or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that school is necessarily to socialize, but if they feel that they have a potential to use in a different way without actually going to formal school, mm -hmm. I believe 100% in education. I believe that you need to learn every day. Yes. 100%. I'm a lifelong student, but in the form that gives you the experience of you using your full capacity. Yeah. And I want to create this hub where kids from all around the world can come and actually explore that superpower. I don't know how this will look like in 10 years, but I'm going to be someone who will facilitate the knowledge and facilitate that opportunity for young girls in tech. That is a very nice vision to have. So we are at the home of having podcast here, Diana. So I have to ask you now, when you look around your house, your physical home, what makes your home a home worth having? Really good question. I need to go back to my parents and how I lived. My mom was a perfectionist. Perfectionist, perfectionist. We always had neat home, tidy, clean. With three kids, almost mission impossible. But she always had this sense of everything needs to be sterile. And, you know, yeah. if I look my home now, it's totally different picture. <laughs> it's not needy. We have some toys on the ground, on the floor. And yeah. Yeah. But I feel that accepting the messiness gives me the peace of calmness. I feel calm in my home. I don't feel that pressure that I always need to do something more. I just need to be. I feel that I can be in my home. That's a good way. That's a good way to define the value of your home. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're heading towards the end. And I want to thank you for being so open and for being so welcoming for speaking your truth. I have more questions. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, is there anything I forgot to ask? Or is there, is there a question that you wish people would ask you, but they rarely do? And that might be you as a private person or you in business. What is the question we forget to ask? Mm. Good question. I think that for me, I, I have a brand that is called Fearless and Successful. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not saying, a lot of people ask me, so what makes you fearless? And how can I become fearless? I want to reframe that. It's not that I don't feel fear. <laughs> I do. I am afraid of certain things. But I really manage to feel the fear and dissect what does this fear actually mean? That's what made that resilience. And I know 90% of fears are just your ego protecting you. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, like experience-based. Um, and a lot of people ask me, so what makes you feel less? But they don't ask me, what was that turning point for you when you felt that strength of fearlessness, of fears, right? Okay. So when was that point? Yes. We could probably go to, this is a full circle. When I quit my job, that horrible job, and I said, you know what? I don't know what future holds for me, but I feel right. I didn't let my ego say, this is insane. You don't have a job. Everything is against the odds. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no way you're going to make it. And I, again, packed that ego into the bag and I said, it feels right for me. I'm going to make it, you know. And that was the first time when I said, yes, I am afraid. I acknowledge you. I see you. I embrace you. But it's now time for me to say goodbye to fear. Yeah, the story of prioritizing, because we prioritize the money. We have to provide. And you said it yourself. You said to your husband, no, no, I have to provide that money. And then when once that click happens in your head that providing is more than money, it's absolutely essential. But there is more to providing than, than having money and providing yourself the inner security to go and do something and to dare and to provide self-comfort, that you don't need that comfort from the job, but you can create the comfort from within yourself. I feel it's also like I, I chose my self-worth instead of that external worth, you know? Yeah. The work that I do is not the price and worth of, of me. Yeah. That doesn't determine how worthy I am. And I felt that's my journey to really loving myself and having my own experience with my self-love and self-worth. It's not the job that defines me who I am instead of how I, how I feel about myself. Yeah. Is there one last wisdom or a quote that you love? Is there something that you know to be true that you yes. share with the listeners? Yes. I love quote that goes, what if I fall? But oh, my darling, what if you fly? It's beautiful. Diana, thank you so much for being on the Homework Having podcast. It shines through this interview and it shines through your voice that you are a very positive, happy, independent person. And we're not having the video on right now because <laughs> Zoom is a bit glitching these days. But I imagine you standing there with open arms. And yes. I, want you, I want you to know that, that you provoke this image in me, and I'm sure you provoke it in my listeners as well, that you are a wonderful person and that everything that you project onto the Swedish society shines through through you, all the positivity. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. And I feel I'm so grateful that we get to connect in these crazy times and we have people like you and we can connect with people who think alike, who have much more in common than thought from the beginning. And I'm just like super grateful that I have people like you in my corner. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diana. Ciao, ciao. This is it, my friend. This was Diana Ligoli on the Home of Heaven podcast. And what I will take out of this episode is the following. Stand up for yourself. Be the human resource manager you always wanted to stick up for you. Sometimes you feel you need to defend your life's decisions to others, your parents or friends back home, or local people that will try to keep you small because they can't see themselves rise up. And yes, you will also have to build resilience when it comes to your own ego. That will want to keep you safe, and unfortunately, it will also keep you small. We all agree that diversity in biology, society, and economy brings opportunities and growth. But many times, we deny that our own diversity that we bring to the table is something that needs to be embraced. 
I think it has been unmistakably clear that Diana absolutely adores the Swedes and their culture. And yet, she's taking the decision of not speaking the language at home with her daughters. And that does not contradict the love that she has for her adopted culture. She's living the Swedish values of tolerance and acceptance and honors that everyone is free to take decisions guided by their own conscience. Diana feels that she belongs because she's not forced to fit in. And even though certain cultures make that easy, there always remains a certain degree of self-emancipation that no one can do for us. So I want to encourage you to see the current struggle you experience as the starting point on where you need to be reinforcing your boundaries. If something or someone is making your life hard right now, work on yourself. Practice to distance yourself from other people's judgments. After all, they only tell you how they would feel if they were in your shoes. And you don't have to be, act, or think like them. And sometimes that other person is your own ego. Don't beat it down. It's afraid for you. And if your reaction to any judgment, external or internal, is sparking anger inside you, it is only a sign that something you feel to be right is clashing with something you think to be wrong, or the other way around. And the easiest way to fix that is to take outcome-orientated action that will change your situation. You can learn a language, but you don't have to lose the accent or deny your heritage. As an expat, you can literally pick the best of all the cultures you love. Just take the time to investigate what it is you appreciate and what you want to close the door on and leave outside. So I, again, want to thank Diana for being so open and available to talk and share. And I want to point out that she has her own business, but did not come on the Homeworth Having podcast to run a promo. She is trying to be a friend to those that need to hear her story. And I believe this is the quality that shows that she's truly invested in making businesses flourish by making sure the people in the business are blooming themselves. So if today's episode resonated with you, if you found value in it, please subscribe or leave me a review. This truly makes a difference in getting found by the right people. And if you feel gracious, please consider this episode or the entire A Home of Having podcast worth sharing with your friends or that one person you feel would profit most from it. And if you want to get into contact with Deanna, you can find her and her fearless and successful coaching on Facebook under facebook.com slash a lifestyle by Deanna. And Deanna is spelled D-I-J-A-N-A. In the meantime, I stay your humble designer friend at the Home Worth Having podcast. Talk to you soon again. A bientôt. Nicole.